Welcome, my friend. How are you this evening? How have I found you? Or I suppose it makes more sense to ask, how have you found me? You've found me in the music room. There are many instruments here. String instruments, reed instruments, brass instruments, some ancient ones, some modern ones I don't even recognize. Things from all around the world, and maybe even beyond it, if you can imagine such a thing. But my favorite one is the piano. An entire universe ready at your fingertips. A complicated network of hammers and strings and wood and chambers for sound to resonate from, and pedals to cling to the sound, or dull it, or stretch it. A piano is like a haunted castle in and of itself, full of vibrations and stories waiting to be told, and to be heard. A piano is like a human soul, too, able to contain worlds of longing and celebration and anger and sweetness, though it takes practice to gain control over it enough to express these emotions precisely. And even then, human error is always possible, and that is the true thrill behind musicianship. The fear that a musical story could all crumble with the slip of a little finger. Like a haunted castle, if one stone is misplaced, the spirits might become enraged. Some staircases are delicate and liable to break. There are cracks in the wooden floors where one must tread lightly or else create a cacophony, or at worst, fall and join the host of haunters. A piano is like a castle, is like a soul. It is all too easy to falter, to slip, and to stumble. 
But maybe that's the beauty of these kinds of things. You may have gathered by now, in the dim light of our two candles, that I am not playing the piano. Incidentally, a ghost is here playing it. He told me his story, or at least a very small part of it, in a quiet and musical language, and I would like to share it with you. I think it's the time of year for it. You know the time of year. The weather grows warmer, and the children grow a little restless because, you see, they will be set free for a short time. For a sweet couple of months, time changes. For them, and for those who find themselves in a position to instruct them. They all agree that learning is an exhausting thing, and there must be time. Time away from the learning. Time to let the learning work on you on its own. And in that time, perhaps, there can be rejuvenation, healing. Like how, when we sleep at night, we allow all the things our brains encountered during the day to settle in and rest within them. In a similar way, when summer comes, those engaged in learning must let their minds absorb what they spent nine or ten months of the year studying for a little rest, a little time to let it settle, a little room to grow. Anyway, my apologies. The Friendly Ghosts story. Let's see if I can recall it correctly. He told it to me only today, after all. Yet I feel I've known it for centuries. Well, how shall I begin? He went through school, a thing most of us consider to be a tedious chore, though those who do not have it might find it to be a great privilege. Nursery school, a fun adventure. Grade school, a little more difficult and demanding. Middle school, a mess of emotion and confusion. High school, a torturous sentence to be served. College, a necessary evil without direction or order. And then there it was suddenly, as though it had come and gone in the blink of an eye. The final summer of the final year of his education. Soon he'd have a piece of paper proclaiming a specialty in a subject he didn't feel any particular passion, authority, or dedication towards. Soon he'd have to go out into the world and find a use for himself. Too soon he had found that the learning was over, and now he was faced with the doing having to find a person, place, or thing that would pay him for the doing, 
having to do the doing for long enough to maybe eventually someday just live and enjoy the living. Learning, doing, living. That was the order of things, he surmised. Yet he hadn't enjoyed the learning. He dreaded the doing. And it seemed the living was stretching further and further and further away from him. A distant dream. A fairy tale you tell children so they'll be good at learning, and then eventually doing, which was really the important thing after all. That was the valuable thing. The thing that made one worthwhile, it seemed. He closed the door behind him at the college he'd learned at and stared at a long and empty road. And he could go home, but home was full of questions about doing and he wasn't ready. How was it that he already missed the learning, the thing he'd been doing for nearly two decades, the thing he'd taken for granted? Was that part of life really over? He could instead go a different direction. He had walked from town to school, town to school, every day for so long. This day, he went in a different direction. Down and down and down this road he went. Sometimes a car would pass him by. Some of his peers cheering and laughing and singing as though they knew exactly what they would be doing. Their delicious secret was that they didn't. He thought about waving or calling out, but then thought better of it. Better to allow his mood to be dark, at least for the time being. He must be feeling this way for a reason, after all, and he didn't feel like celebrating. He felt like walking, he went past the shops and the restaurants, past his old high school, his old middle school, his old grade school, even his old kindergarten, each one more dilapidated than the last. Had they all been shut down? Had everyone in town aged all at once? Or had everyone moved away after they finished the learning? Is that what he was meant to do? He went past the edge of town he'd never had reason to explore before. And here, there sat a cemetery. While not necessarily as vast or sprawling as some of the cemeteries in my other stories, this little town hosted an impressive graveyard in its own right. For though the town was little, it was old and it liked to remember times gone past. The oldest graves, the most worn down by time, but the most cared for by the city council, were near the front gates. As more people passed away, which we all have the habit of doing eventually, they were buried farther and farther into the land, making the livings walk towards their beloved dead Longer and longer with every passing year. 
Death seemed farther and farther away now for the town than it once did. Yet how much of this stretch of life, our ex-student wondered, was actually spent living anymore? He had meant to visit here before. He thought it would be a nice thing to do. But it never seemed to make sense. It seemed a foolish thing, something without purpose, something without benefit to anyone, really. Just something he wanted to do. Yet here he was now. He opened the gate and closed it behind him. As the sun began to set, he noticed a mist cross through the graves, as the warm summer earth was begging the sky for rain. And he thought to himself, Well, I cannot pass this opportunity up, can I? He began to walk down the path. Behind one large and crumbling stone, he heard a terrible scratching noise and began to tremble. He paused before it, merely feet from the dreadful thing, and saw a hand lit by moonlight and dripping with black blood curl around the stone from behind. Another hand joined it on the opposite side, and a figure hauled himself up from the earth. It was a strange man, wearing clothes at least two hundred years old in fashion, a frayed and worn-out powdered wig on his head, eyes sunken and spectacles broken, or so the young man could tell from the figure's bowed head. He carried in his arms piles and piles of manuscripts. They spilled out all around him, and his eyes roamed over their text repeatedly. He spewed out names and numbers and details and dates, and none of them made any sense. But he seemed terribly concerned about it. The ex-student was about to offer him help. He went to try to pick up a manuscript, but it passed through his flesh and bone. That's when he realized the man was absolutely drained of all color. His skin, his face, his clothes, his manuscripts. How can I help you? He asked the spirit quietly, even through his fear. What can I do? How should I help? But the man could not hear him. He came closer to the spirit, not quite understanding the nature of his desire to help, but following it nonetheless. Is there something I can do? You should rest, you should be resting. Let it go, it's all right. But the man raised his gaze finally to meet our graduate's eyes, and they were blood-red, exhausted, and furious. Not at the young man, but 
through the young man. They didn't see him. They were busy. The boy sprang back, and the man resumed his fretting and frowning and sighing and counting. There's nothing I can do for him, the young man thought, and kept on his way. He walked a little while longer, but then he tripped and fell and his knee went into a stone. Nothing serious, but it hurt terribly, and so he howled in pain and clasped his knee, letting the tears spring to his eyes. He rubbed it quickly. But then he heard a strange sound. A kind of humming, a whispering, like someone cajoling a child or soothing an injured animal. Then he saw two ghostly hands before his eyes, large and strong with delicate long nails, as a woman tended to his knee. He looked up and saw a lady in a nurse's uniform, an old one, the kind you might have seen on a battlefield many years ago. It was stained with black splotches, smears of ghost blood across her arms and face, too. She knelt before him and applied what looked to be liniments and tinctures to his wound. More of a bruise, really, but that's not how she was treating it. She wrapped it up several times in a transparent bandage, humming to herself all the while, a smile across her lips. I'm fine, really, it was nothing, he explained, but she didn't seem to hear him. It's just a bruise, it will heal quickly, don't worry. But from the way she too was missing all color in her face and body, and the way he could see the cemetery on the other side of her, if he looked closely enough and focused just so, he knew the truth. When she looked up at him, her eyes were blood-red, and they confirmed it. But she smiled at him, in a way that he felt he was being smiled through, not really seen, not really felt, her job done, or so she perceived. And she kept going, not listening to him, just finishing her duty with a kind of unconscious delight, before packing up her ghostly gear and running off to tend to another wounded soldier. That is, that's what he thought. Instead, she just disappeared through a tree trunk nearby. That was strange, the young man thought, and kept on his way. He went past the newer graves, the fresher earth, and by now the night sky hung overhead, stars shrouded in clouds. The earth smelled wet and lovely, if he didn't think too hard about what lay beneath it, though it didn't really bother him as much as he thought it should. He saw a name on a stone he thought he recognized. 
he paused briefly, but then was distracted by the sight of a little chapel ahead. He pushed on towards it, fascinated that its door was open. There was nothing in there but a few broken pews, some shattered windows, and a little piano. There were keys missing. A few moths flew out as he lifted the lid of it. He plunked a few keys, and they were certainly out of tune. But he hadn't touched one of these in ages. He took lessons as a child. He remembered that. He had enjoyed it a little, sometimes. But for the most part, it was just another thing he had to learn, though no one had told him why. Something about building character and good habits. He never really practiced or anything, though. But he did like to play little songs. Not ones he was told to play, but little ones he heard on the radio, ones his friends sang. Sometimes little songs he made up, just for fun. But it was because he did more of that than practicing his scales. His parents had sold the piano and discontinued his lessons, and that was that. He had to get serious about other things to learn, since he wouldn't take this one thing seriously. He reached towards the formerly white, now-stained keys with a sense of nostalgia, letting his fingers trail over them gently. He didn't dare play. He didn't know what he would play. Besides, he didn't want to play. What was the point? He wasn't any good. He wasn't going to play. Play me something. It was a figure, standing in a doorway. The shape of a woman silhouetted by sudden clear moonlight behind her appeared. She seemed all softness, and yet she stood very, very still, her hands clasped before her, skirt falling halfway past her knees, the wool of a clean, warm sweater visible. The figure felt familiar to him, though he recalled being smaller, shorter than it last time he saw it. Play me something. She said again. I... I don't know, I don't... I don't really play. He muttered. She didn't move. She just waited. As the moonlight clouded over again, and she was not so brightly lit from behind, he began to make out two red eyes. Just like the other two phantoms who hadn't been able to see him at all. But this one looked right at him. She had spoken to him. Finally, 
he sighed and sat down. He tried to play a little something. Just a little song he'd worked on for a bit with his piano teacher. But it wasn't coming back. It was stuck. Stuck in the cobwebs of his mind. He had known then that he wasn't going to continue. Not seriously. He didn't intend to have a career in music. He didn't want to work on this. And his family knew it and no longer pressed the issue, urging him to find something else instead. So he stopped playing that song. But he tried to plunk it out now. He tried to remember it. Because the more of it came to his memory in fragmented bits a feeling came a feeling of serenity maybe calm a little longing and sadness a bit of mischief and delight isn't it interesting how music can do that but mostly he remembered it being fun. He remembered feeling happy. In a moment where he worked on something, not because it had something in store for him in his future, or would bring him or someone else fortune, or grades, or results. It was not productive. It was just a moment for him. Though he remembered someone else being there with him in that moment. It'll come back to you, she said. The young man looked up and she was standing beside him, smiling all colorless, except for those eyes, just like the others. Only, she wasn't busy with something. She was just watching and listening. They shared a long silence, and he remembered recently that he did hear that the piano teacher he'd had years and years ago had passed away. But it had been so long. He'd felt sad briefly, but he also had exams, essays, readings, work to do, work to do. So he hadn't really let the information sink in. He hadn't really absorbed the news. And if he had, would he have really reacted much differently? She sat down on the bench beside him and went to play the instrument. Unlike the others, though, her ghostly fingers interacted with the keys. The young man supposed it made sense, after all, 
the others were engaging with business long gone, stuck in time. But here she was. She wanted to play this instrument, this particular instrument in this particular moment. And she played the song he couldn't remember. She remembered it. He felt the serenity and calm, the longing and sadness, the mischief and delight. It was fun. He felt happy. He got to listen to a song he used to love when he was a child. Is there any better feeling than that? I don't know what I'm going to do. He whispered in the darkness of the abandoned chapel to the ghost of his old piano teacher. I don't think it matters. She said back as she played, Just enjoy yourself while you do it, whatever it is. She turned to face him and smiled. And though her lips were frightfully black and her eyes were terribly red, he was not afraid. No, no matter, matter what, what you, you do, do, you can, you can live, live too. And as he watched her play, he realized that she was still living, even now. Eventually she stood and walked to her grave and he followed her. It'll come back to you. She said one last time. Then she fell backwards and disappeared into the ground. He wondered if the cemetery was full of nurses and salesmen and lawyers and construction workers and artists and politicians and bookkeepers and all manner of people who had gone through different professions in their lives. And while indeed some did wander around, trapped in whatever it was they had been so focused on doing in their lives, dealing only with things and details and situations that had existed then and were now not even dust. He was pleased to notice many other spirits. Spirits in this moment. This one, right here. Sitting on graves, looking at the stars peeking more and more through the clouds, chatting with each other, learning about different times and stories and lives other than the ones they'd experienced so briefly, learning things, learning new things, and not doing anything with that learning other than smiling and wanting to learn more. He's been practicing. He told me so. 
I know you can't see him. He's a ghost now, too. Just another phantom in my castle. Just like me. But I have enjoyed hearing his story. The story that came along with this song. I enjoyed learning about him. Perhaps there is time enough to learn, to do, and to live. Perhaps those things do not have to happen in any particular order. Perhaps they can all happen at once. If there is no such thing as time, which I am almost certain there is not, then certainly they already are happening, learning, doing, and living can happen in harmony with one another. We just have to practice. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for listening to episode 235 of On a Dark, Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, writer, host, narrator, composer, podcaster, etc., 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 behind the podcast. I hope you're doing well out there, wherever you are. If you're closer to the wildfires going on right now, sending lots of love to you, my friends, and wishes for strength and good health. And if you're in a city like me that's smokier than usual, please look after yourselves, too. And I didn't release an episode last week, so I will take the opportunity now to wish all my friends in the LGBTQ plus community a very happy Pride. I wish you every chance to celebrate and feel love, joy, freedom, and support. Wishing that this month and every month. Lots of love to you. Jumping in here with a quick word from our sponsor this month, Blissy. I've been using my Blissy pillowcase for a few months now, and I have continued to notice an improvement in the quality of my hair, my skin, and especially my sleep. Especially now that it's warmer outside, it has been such a treat to use their 100% mulberry silk pillowcase. It regulates temperature to have this nice cooling effect all night long. Not only that... But silk is the best thing for your hair and skin, reducing frizz, tangles, and breakage by keeping moisture in your hair, and keeping your natural moisture and the effects of your skincare products on your skin rather than being absorbed by your pillow. I wake up feeling great, with hair that doesn't need as much maintenance in the morning. A pretty amazing feat, as I'm sure my fellow curly-haired folks would agree. They are machine washable, which is super convenient. 
hypoallergenic, so you don't have to worry about rashes or irritation. And they arrive in beautiful, gift-ready packaging, so they'll make a lovely gift for anyone in your life, including yourself. I have to say I love the feel of these pillowcases. Everybody loves them. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men, women, people, ghosts, ghosts, more ghosts. Wait, why are there so many ghosts here? They have over one million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash cold night and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash cold night and use cold night to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. I would like to thank a new patron, Candice Webb, who pledged a monthly amount in support of the show via Patreon. Thank you so much, Candice. I really appreciate it. Everyone who supports the show monthly for $1 or more, U.S., receives access to my complete soundtrack, while supporters of $5 or more a month, U.S., get that, a monthly tarot reading video on every full moon, and a weekly bonus meditation. Learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. The bonus meditations are also available through an Apple channel subscription to the Sonar Plus channel. You can get those and other great Sonar Network bonus content by subscribing via my page on Apple Podcasts, just look up on a dark cold night, or the Sonar Plus channel page on Apple Podcasts. You can just search for the Sonar Network. You can also donate one time only to On a Dark Cold Night with no perks at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight or by buying a t-shirt or hoodie at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I'd also love if you left a rating or a review on Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser, or anywhere else you like to rate and review podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at a dark cold night. Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, on Facebook or YouTube under On a Dark Cold Night, or on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. Thank you for listening this week, my friends. I hope you have a lovely, restorative rest tonight. Perhaps the kind of rest where you not only give yourself the chance to absorb what you've learned, but also allow it to enrich your life with curiosity and joy. And may whatever follows, follow. But maybe we can remind ourselves that our own experience is a worthwhile enough pursuit. Sweet dreams, everybody. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.